Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 234 for the 3rd of March, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with John Shire at RSA 2016. Hey, Chet, how's it going? I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it's been one of those weeks, again, as usual. Yeah, um, I mean, RSA, this is a, I mean, I've been, we were counting when we came into the registration booth a couple days ago at the beginning of the week. And uh, I think you this is your 10th RSA? Yeah, it is. And I think it might be my 10th as well, because I, I came a few years before you, but I missed one or two in between. And this one is rather unique, actually. Uh, we're, we're not going to necessarily cover all the security news this week, although we can touch briefly on things like the uh, OpenSSL drown vulnerability and some of the other things that have been in the non-RSA security news. But There's news outside of RSA? I think I say this every year, but it seems like there's a big echo chamber here that we get lost into. But yeah, you're right. There's stuff that's happening outside of the, uh, the conference this week. Uh, yeah, I, I guess what really struck me is um, every year there's been something that it seems like everybody's shouting about and every marketing team has co-conspired to decide is what they're going to yell about at the event every year. And last year it was threat intelligence, threat intelligence, threat intelligence. And year before that it was big data and next generation endpoint. And let's see, endpoint is dead, long live endpoint. And this year, uh, it seems like everybody's maybe a little more focused. Yeah, it kind of feels like the industry's all grown up. I mean, it's now officially 25. It can rent, uh, the, sorry, the conference is officially 25. It can rent a car now. And, uh, you know, walking around the conference, you see a lot more of um, sort of a collaborative thing where people are saying, all right, well, we've got all these tools. Like you said, there's threat intelligence, there's endpoint protection, there's encryption. And, yeah, there's no shouting. It's just more about, okay, let's take these tools and let's, let's use them in a meaningful way. I, I didn't see anyone juggling flaming unicorns. No, nope, no flaming unicorns this year. But uh, so you and I spent the last hour, hour and a half wandering around the show floor. It's, it's the last day of the conference, which things have a tendency to quiet down a little bit. I, I saw a pretty interesting diversity of things out there, right? I mean, uh, there's certainly still the threat intelligence stuff out there, but I'm seeing a lot more around identity access management and authentication, which is interesting and encouraging to me. In fact, you and I went over by the uh, Ubico booth. That's right. In the, I think that's here in the North Hall. It is. And uh, uh, the you know, they were giving away some two-factor tokens at their stand if you got your badge scanned. So if you, if you want a free two-factor token, you can make it over to the Ubico, Ubico stand over there. Supports the new uh, 4096, or new for them, 4096 keys. Yeah, yeah. I actually store my PGP key on a Ubiki myself, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. But I, you know, without promoting given brands, I was just encouraged to see so many of these little startups, the small booths around the edge of the conference, focusing a lot more on identity management because we know we can't keep our passwords safe because we've been failing at it since we came up with the idea of a password. So, you know, we, we do need multi-factor of some sort. And one of the problems, I think, was that multi-factor authentication was only uh, available to the largest of enterprises because of the cost and the complexity of implementing it. And we really need to see it everywhere. And to see it everywhere, it needs to be affordable and approachable. Yeah, it's definitely come down market. We, we spoke to one company specifically that's addressing that need for people, and, and they're really addressing it from both ends, from the, the social aspect of it to be able to get you to sign into some of your social media accounts, but also looking at integrating with things like um, your, your ALDAP services as well. So you know, giving people that total flexibility and, and, and you know, the, the breadth of all the different things you're going to log into giving you that two-factor authentication, giving you that identity management, not leaving any of the services out so that you can have both your fun and your work at the same time. Well, you might as well mention them. I think that was Auth0, I believe. It was, called. yes. Uh, yeah, that, I that, just happened to forget their name. <laughs> so, I mean, so I, thought, I thought that kind of thing was good. Uh, Warner Ground, uh, 
apparently all the companies last year that said that we were dinosaurs and we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't need endpoint security anymore now all have endpoint security products? There's quite a few endpoint security vendors in here, especially in the South Hall this year. So yeah, I guess endpoint security is not quite as dead as we thought it was. Yeah, it always surprised me a little bit because when we start to think about how our networks are changing, the truth of the matter is, like everybody here, we're away from work quite often with our computers. And so being behind the, quote, firewall, the web filter, the email filter is only partially effective because we're often not actually someplace where we're behind that thing anymore. And so we kind of need to blend that security approach of going, hey, when we're on the network, when we have network visibility, why not, of course, try to keep you know, threats off the network and keep them as far away from vulnerable endpoints and sensitive data as we can. But of course, a lot of the time we're not somewhere where we can control that, in which case you need to do it at the endpoint, obviously. Uh, yeah, definitely, because that, that's, that's the place where the rubber meets the road when you're a user, when you're accessing your data. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense to just sort of eschew that kind of security and, and rely on just, let's say, cloud-based analytics. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the threat intelligence stuff earlier. What I'm what I'm seeing this year specifically is that you know now it's about actioning that threat intelligence as well. So yeah, we've collected it all at last year's conference, and now we're trying to do something with it as well, right? So threat intelligence is a big word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I think when you when you start having all these analytics, and we're we're starting to get into some visualizations and analytics ourselves to see how better can we protect our customers with more visibility into the data, more visibility into the threat. Uh, absolutely. And I guess the other thing uh, I'll, I'll finish RSA talk around is just want to thank everyone who attended our presentations this year at RSA. We had James Line doing some presentations on uh, Internet of Things on the RSA main stage. Our colleague Rowan Yu talking about how crooks are abusing Google Play services to try to get malware into the Google Play Store to, to uh, impact Android users. And uh, myself and Dimitri Samiseko this morning had a presentation um, talking about how uh, criminals are increasing the efficacy of their malware and increasing their, their dollar yield per victim by using geographic location information to better target their threats, uh, even in the opportunistic space. Because we usually when we think about targeted threats, we're thinking about data theft and governments and this kind of thing. But the opportunistic crooks who used to just spam us to death also recognize that, hey, they can learn from government level attacks and figure out how to make their attacks more targeted. And that increases the profitability of each attack. Just like any good marketing organization, they understand the concept of localization just like you know you made an, an allusion to mcdonald's in your presentation today which i think was really well received in that in different markets they do provide different services and different products for uh, for that local region yeah mcrib is back it is and thank you for the live studio audience that we actually have in front of us right now as we speak totally unplanned this is great um, so uh, other than that i mean the, the, the i think the big news outside of rsa certainly is this drown on vulnerability um, it's a lot more complicated than it looks, which is ultimately a great thing. Uh, whenever you see one of these vulnerabilities like Heartbleed or Stage Fright, I'm thinking that I, I want to create a website where it's like a logo and name generator for the next vulnerability, <laughs> right? Like you pull the one-armed bandit handle yeah. and it spins around and comes up with the name. But this one's called Drown, which is another horrible acronym. Right. And uh, the good news and bad news is it's complicated. So the, that means that it's, it's a very slow attack. It's not something that's likely to be mass scale hitting. I mean, the, the headline for the journalist was one third of websites vulnerable to SSL vulnerability, which is true. But the thing is, to actually attack one third of the websites would take you 97 billion years because of the way the attack actually works. So the good news is they're not likely to be mass exploitation of the drown vulnerability. But the bad news is, uh, uh, pr protecting against mitigating the vulnerability 
Uh, people went, oh, you can just turn off SSL v2 and that solves the problem. It doesn't actually solve the problem. It's more complicated than that. So you really do need to get a patched version of the OpenSSL library for any applications that are compiled against OpenSSL and recompile them or check with your vendor if your vendors are using OpenSSL in their products because simply disabling SSL v2 does not turn off the vulnerable code. It just stops you. It, it's complicated. Yeah, and we've had this conversation before about, you know, when, when one thing is broken that's used pervasively, like these shared libraries, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to just patch that one thing and, and get rid of that. But then, you, you, you know, you talk a lot about the, the battle between homogeneity or... Yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking close. for. Um, hom hom homogeneity, I don't know how you quite say that correctly. It's a homogeny? Yeah. Thank you, studio. And audience. diversity. <laughs> the, diversity was the word I was looking for. Homogeneity oh, versus diversity. So yeah, there's there's definitely an opportunity there. Um, when you have these these single points of, uh, of of vulnerability, where you can actually patch everything all at once, but then, like you said um, the other day, I was listening to you talk to a journalist, and you mentioned something about you know the the Android ecosystem being somewhat fractured, but that's kind of to a benefit because you really have to code something to break every single specific handset and version of Android out there if you want to impact as many people as possible. So. You know, it's just, again, one, one of these examples. I saw an interesting tweet specifically on the, the logo aspect. Somebody said, I want to see a 4K version. Now, never mind these, these pictures. I want to see a 4K version of a logo now. <laughs> yeah, 4K video. High, high DPI vulnerability logos, yeah. yes. Um, well, uh, I think that about wraps up our time here for the podcast at the stand. As uh, That concludes Software Security Chat Chat 234. As always, you can get all the latest security news from Sophos at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available via RSS. They're on iTunes. They're on the TuneIn app. And very soon, they will be in the new Google Podcast Store. And um, until next time, stay secure.